is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, September 5th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Taylor Schwenk, Bruce Baldwin are back in the Bristol area as we take the show today. I'm uh, back home in my uh, home in Montana after a really interesting weekend. Taylor, I, you know, I changed my mind again. I'm just going to talk to you right off the top. Uh, the highlight of the weekend, without a doubt, was that fan interview that we did during Sunday Night Baseball with one Mr. Malcolm. He was so fun. I mean, what a, what a star. And Buster, what an amazing interview for you. I mean, I know, you know, people give you a lot of flack for your interviews on Sunday Night Baseball, and this is a good way to shove it in their faces because that was awesome, entertaining. That guy was electric. I, I loved every second of it. Well, you know, it, it was the perfect. He had so much energy. It was he was like, I, I didn't I felt like I walked away from that. And then people were sending me nice notes about the interview afterward. I was like, I didn't do anything. That guy was just put on a show. <laughs> like I just asked him very simple questions and he just ran with it. What a personality. And you're going to hear that interview uh, later in the podcast. It was a ton of fun. We're also going to be talking with Sarah Langs, David Schoenfield, and Anthony Volpe, who's part of the resurgent Yankees. Uh, you're going to be hearing from him as well. Well, the Astros got swept by the Yankees over the weekend in that series in Houston. That was in advance of this series that they have that started last night in Texas. In the top of the sixth inning, the Astros were trailing 4-3 to three when this happened. Two outs, nobody on, and Dubon swings to the first pitch in a drive. Down the left field line and deep, going back. Grossman looks up, gone, tie game! Mauricio Dubon launching one into the bleachers and left. His eighth home run of the season, 4-4 as Dubon is tied it for Houston. Jose Altuve followed Dubon to the plate. 1-0. Altuve swings and a fly ball to left. Going back is Grossman. Warning track. Looks up. Gone. Second deck and left for Altuve. Whoa. So at that point, it was 5-4 in the seventh inning. The Rangers' bullpen issues fully manifest. It's been a complete mess. There were walks all over the place, and then this ground ball was hit to Corey Seager with the bases loaded. Allowed by Spores in his last four and a third. This one towards the middle, and it's through Seager. Two runs are going to score. Astros take an 8-5 to five lead on a ball that gets through Corey Seager at short. What followed after that? Yiner Diaz, who's one of the candidates for American League Rookie of the Year, he came to the plate with two runners on base. The one strike pitch and Diaz in the air, left center field, way back. Second deck homer, Yiner Diaz. And the Astros have blown it open. Three run shot, 11-5. So by the time that top of the seventh inning was over, Houston led 11-5. to That sound from ESPN Radio. In the ninth inning, Dubon and Altuve went back-to-back again. The final score was 13-6. to Now, the Rangers do have news that they hope turns out to be good news. Nathan Avaldi, who has not pitched since July, is going to return to start for them today against the Astros. They also think that Max Scherzer will be good to go on Wednesday. Meanwhile, the Seattle Mariners, one of the teams vying for the American League West, they were in Cincinnati And Julio Rodriguez made history with Cincinnati leading 5-1, top of the fourth inning. The 1-0 to Julio, swinging a fly ball deep into the gap in right center field, and it is gone. He's just made Major League history. 
Julio Rodriguez, 25 for 25. That's his 25th home run of the year. That sound from Seattle Sports Radio, 7:10 a.m. Now, Julio was standing at the plate when this game came to an end, taking strike three. Cincinnati wins 6-3. to three. At the end of the day, Seattle and Houston are in a virtual tie for first place in the American League West. The Rangers are one game behind, but they have been in a month-long fade. The Dodgers' Julio Arias was charged with felony domestic violence. The 27-year-old pitcher was booked by the Los Angeles Police Department late Sunday, released early Monday morning on a $50,000 bond. Major League Baseball said it is investigating the case. Arias was given a September 27th court date. In 2019, he served a 20-game suspension for violating MLB's domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. He was scheduled to pitch Thursday against the Marlins. There's a good reason to think that his season is over, and I'll talk with David Schoenfield coming up about why that is. The Orioles faced the Angels, and Gunnar Henderson got a big hit. 1-1. Henderson out towards right field. Renhifo going back to the wall, and this one bounces up top of the stands. It's a home run. Gunnar Henderson points to the sky, a three-run shot to right. Yeah, so the Orioles win that game. Grayson Rodriguez was terrific. He had a 7-3-5 ERA in his first 10 starts of his Major League Baseball career this season. But since being returned from the minor leagues, 2.85 starts. There was some news about Shohei Otani beyond the fact that he was scratched from the lineup last night because of oblique soreness. Phil Nevin said Otani is, quote-unquote, pretty sore. He'll undergo more tests today. Uh, His agent spoke with reporters. You're going to hear some of that later in the podcast. The Royals face the White Sox. And man, oh, man, Cole Reagans has been one of the best pitchers in baseball in recent weeks. Changeup, seven strikeouts. Cole Reagans, he's giving high fives and everything, and he's done. Look at him, stoic face, same thing. He's saying, hey, look, just another day at the office. But, man, the current 21-inning scoreless streak is the longest in baseball. And hitters, he's only allowed it hits in seven of 21 innings. This guy is on fire. So at the end of his six innings in this game, he's got 21 consecutive scoreless innings. The Twins blew out the Guardians 20-6. Royce Lewis has been going nuts lately. And the 2-0 pitch, a swing at a high fly ball, left field deep. Quan will turn at the wall. That ball is back, and that ball is gone! A grand slam! He's done it again! Royce Lewis, for the fourth time in his career, third time this season, has hit a grand slam, and the Twins take a 6-0 lead. The guy who gave up that grand slam, Lucas Giolito, he had just joined the Guardians, his first start since being waived by the Angels in that uh, spat of waiver uh, dumps by the Angels last week. He allowed nine earned runs in three innings in his Guardians debut. At the end of the day, the Twins six games ahead of Cleveland. The Diamondbacks, the Rockies, and Corbin Carroll got the Diamondbacks going early. Fair ball down the line, and here we go. The track meet is on. Perdomo coming around third. Corbin Carroll heads for third. He's got the RBI triple, and it's 1-0 defense. The final score there, 4-2 Diamondbacks. The Cubs and the Giants, and Seiya Suzuki has been red hot of late. Here's the 1-2. Swung on, hit in the air to right center field deep. Back goes Slater. It's got a chance. Gone! Seiya Suzuki with a home run. Cubs lead 1-0. Justin Steele was terrific on the mound. He was Steele in the top of the seventh inning. 
Steele still working rapidly. Here's the 0-2. Swing and a miss strike three. Seven shutout innings for Justin Steele. That sound from the Cubs radio network. The Padres face the Philadelphia Phillies, and Kyle Schwarber has been going crazy lately. Oh, man, that ball is crushed. Deep to right field. It's gone. A solo home run for Schwarber. It's his 40th of the year. Back-to-back 40 home run seasons. If I remember the numbers right, I think he's got 10 homers in his last 15 games. The Phillies hang on to win that game 9-7 to at the end of the day. The Phillies, two and a half games ahead of the Cubs for the first wild card spot. The Cubs uh, leading for the second wild card spot, three games ahead of the Diamondbacks, who are just ahead of the Giants and Marlins. And by the way, we got news over the weekend that we're going to be doing the Cubs and Diamondbacks game on September 17th. So these two teams vying for the National League wild card spot. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Welcome to the show! Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield covers baseball for ESPN. Dave, how you doing on this Tuesday? What'd you do on your Labor Day? <laughs> well, Buster, um, I hope I'm allowed to do this. I went down and watched some tennis, but on Friday night, it was a, 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 a doubleheader. U.S. Open during the day, Mariners Mets Friday night, so I pulled that off with uh, rousing success. Well, uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, your significant other, she probably understood that if she was going to go to the U.S. Open, she was also going to go to a Mariners game, right? I mean, that's a team near and dear to your heart. Worst of all, though, she's claims to be a Mets fan, so she was rooting for the Mets, and when they won, she rubbed it in my face. Wow. Yeah, a little disappointing, to be honest. I thought, you know, by this point, you guys have been together a long time. You figured that, you know, you guys would work through that sort of thing, that impulse to rub it in the face, which usually is not very great for a relationship. (laughs) Well, you know, the best part, there was a guy about 10 rows in front of us wearing a Mets jersey that said Vogel Burger, 
And of course, who hits the game-winning home run that night, I believe, but Dan Vogelbach. So this guy went nuts uh, celebrating that that home run. Oh, and that didn't get under your skin at all, no. uh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mets. Who's better right. this year, Mets fans? It's not your team. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the American League West. Uh, yeah, the Mariners uh, had a tough loss in Cincinnati yesterday. Julio Rodriguez left standing at the plate. I couldn't tell at the end of that game whether he was mad at himself or he was mad about the strike three call which was clearly on replay. You can see it was over the plate. So for the Mariners, you know, a game that they probably feel like, boy, we, we could win a game like that. Uh, really not a big deal because the Mariners have been playing so well. So they had a little weekend hiccup. Uh, but I think the, the more significant uh, action in the American League West yesterday was this game between the Astros and the Rangers. And, boy, did it really say a lot about where these two teams are, Dave, with the bullpen of the Rangers completely melting down in the middle of this game. Yeah, no doubt. Five home runs for Houston, you know, and of course the Astros were coming off that series against the Yankees where they got swept, uh, shockingly. But yeah, uh, Texas, um, that bullpen has really been a disaster lately. You know, even a role as Chapman, who wasn't one of the guys yesterday, but they moved him to closer, you know, a week ago or 10 days ago, and he's blowing a couple games after being uh, a dominant setup guy prior to that. So they got concerns up and down that bullpen. And really with their rotation, you know, we get word that Nathan Avaldi, you know, fell well enough in his bullpen sessions over the weekend to where he's getting the start today on Tuesday. I think they feel good about Max Scherzer starting on Wednesday, but it does feel like a situation where, you know, Avaldi's going out there not having pitched in five weeks, basically in a major league game. Scherzer, you know, when he talks about forearm tightness four days ago, and now he's going to be going back on the mound on Wednesday, it appears, against Justin Verlander. It, it really feels like they're just kind of rushing these guys back out there, even if they're feeling okay. And I'm not saying that the Rangers are doing anything wrong. It just kind of tells you where they are, are with their pitching right now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, how many pitches or how deep into the game is Evaldi going to go tonight? He hasn't pitched since July 18th. Um, right. No minor league rehab um, assignment in there. So I know he says he feels good, but it has the little smell of a bullpen game almost for Texas, uh, which isn't a good sign. So look, it wouldn't surprise me if Houston sweeps this series and suddenly the Rangers backs are to the wall. Yeah, and smells of desperation for sure. Yep. And with the Astros, I'm not surprised, especially with what they did yesterday after having conversations with some of their players, you know, most notably with Alex Bregman over the weekend. You know, part of our conversation today was I, I mentioned to him that when I covered the Yankees, uh, you know, which is the last team to win back-to-back titles in 98 to 2000 Yankees, I told him that for that group of players, the regular season every year got harder and harder and harder because – Every year, they would play a month longer than any other team. The season was longer. It was more of a grind. And let's face it, you know, for a team that's used to playing games on the biggest stage in baseball, suddenly playing a getaway day in May in Tampa Bay against the, you know, the ugly devil rays at that time, it didn't have as much juice. And yep. so Alex just mentioned to me, you know, he was like, well, people wondered why we have played better on the road this year. Maybe that's why. Like you go on the road and and you you you're the enemy Astros and people are booing you, um, and you get a little bit more juice in a series like that. 
And I do feel like, and especially now that Michael Brantley is back in their lineup, that once the games really start to mean something, and I think yesterday's game uh, fell into that category for sure, I feel like the Astros are going to take off. Does any of that make sense to you? No, I kind of agree. The fact that here they are tied for first place, not that everything's gone wrong, but, you know, they've had some injuries in their lineup, obviously a lot of injuries in their rotation. The bullpen hasn't been near as dominant as it was a year ago, yet here they are. And frankly, you know, we can overrate the importance of schedules, but if you look at the schedules down the stretch, theirs is a little easier than Seattle's or Texas. Seattle and Texas play seven times the final 10 games of the year. The the Astros have two series against the Royals and one against Oakland. So right now, Buster, on Tuesday, whatever today is, I'm picking the Astros to pull out that division. Yeah, and we, we've stopped keeping score because we've blown up our preseason picks a long time ago. <laughs> so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna replay this sound uh, back at you if uh, you know if, <laughs> if the Angels come storming back and win the division. I promise you. Uh, all right, let's talk about what's going on with the Dodgers. Julio Arias yesterday uh, he winds up posting bond after domestic violence uh, situation. Uh, you know, fifty thousand dollars. He was in the Dodgers clubhouse apparently after this happened late Saturday night. He was in the Dodgers clubhouse uh, on Sunday morning. You know, now he's on administrative leave effectively going forward. I, I don't see there's any way that he pitches for the Dodgers again this year because of how these always seem to play out, Dave, where Major League Baseball is going to be investigating this, but they won't uh, render a, any discipline for him until they talk to him directly, and he's got a legal situation. So he's right. not going to do an interview with Major League Baseball. There's no way this gets resolved by the end of this season. What do you think? No, and I don't know how much Buster, I mean, certainly baseball will factor in. He had a 20-game suspension back yes. in 2019 for another incident. So um, obviously a terrible look for him, another bad look for baseball. We've had a couple of these incidents now. Dodgers certainly went through this before with Trevor Bauer, but I'm with you. I, I don't think he's going to pitch again this year. And I do hope, and I have not looked into this, that there is a graduated scale of offenses. Like, you know, as you mentioned, he got nailed once for 20 games. Well, the next time they should throw a book at him. If it's determined that he did something wrong in this case, I hope they take him off the field for a long time. That's what I would be my – look, we got to let the legal case obviously play out, you know, innocent until proven guilty. But, uh, yeah, given the prior history – I'm with you. I think baseball is going to come down hard on him if I had to make a prediction. And given that he's a free agent, it probably means he's pitched his last game for the Dodgers. So I, I'm sure you feel the same way. I, I don't like to get into these you know, discussions about domestic violence incidents and then immediately pivot to the baseball. So yeah. I'm going to leave for later in the week the question of what this does for the Dodgers and their rotation. We'll, we'll, we'll save that for the show maybe on Friday. Because I just, it always feels weird doing that direct pivot. Like, this guy should be kicked out of baseball for an extended period of time. Oh, yeah, and how does that weaken Dave Roberts' rotation? Like, that that feels like an uncomfortable conversation. So let's just move on to what happened over the weekend, uh, the long weekend with the Dodgers and the Braves. They play four games, and I was texting back and forth with Eric Young, the first base coach for the Braves on Sunday morning, uh, about Ronald Acuna Jr., You know, and he texted, he said, I haven't seen anything like this in my time in baseball 
We're during the course of this series. It's a big showdown series between the, the teams that we believe to be the best in baseball right now. Braves in Los Angeles. Ronald Acuna Jr. hits a home run in each of the first three games. He gets married in the middle of the series. <laughs> he hits a grand slam homer in the second game right after he gets married. And then he has the hardest hit home run of the entire season on Saturday, 121.2 miles per hour, while competing against the two guys who he's presumed to who are presumed to be his biggest competition for the MVP award in Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. We know that the odds shifted at the beginning of last week for the National League MVP award in favor of Mookie Betts. I hope those guys are reassessing because after that series, I think he's the clear front runner. What do you think? Yeah, it definitely feels like that. You know, yeah, Mookie had jumped ahead of Acuna in both Fangraphs War and Baseball Reference War, and we know voters pay a lot more attention to that than they used to. But this is like an old-school MVP debate to me, Buster, where what you did in September kind of could give you a little extra credit. You know, I know there's been guys in the past, Chipper Jones, when he won it in 99, Vladimir Guerrero Sr., the year he won it for the Angels at a monster September. So that can make a difference. But doing it, like you said, at Dodger Stadium um, was certainly a statement for Acuna. And Buster, how is this possible? As you mentioned, hardest home run hit of the year, only the fourth home run of the entire StatCast era hit at 120-plus miles per hour. And, oh, yeah, by the way, this is the guy who leads the major leagues in stolen bases. How can you be the best base dealer and hit the hardest home run? This guy is just one of the most tooled-up players in MLB history. And, look, Mookie had one of the best months ever in MLB history in August. What did he hit, 480 with 10 home runs? But I think Acuna is back on top in the MVP race. And you're right. You know, in this era, uh, a lot of the voters, you know, will po- pay attention to to war. And right now, Mookie Betts clearly leads Ronald Acuna Jr. in war. And I think that's based on his defensive excellence and his versatility, playing different positions. But I got to believe that at the moment, I mean, we still have four weeks to play. Maybe Acuna goes into a slump and Mookie goes nuts and follows up on his August and uh, finishes with crazy numbers, but I feel like that what this weekend series meant for potentially for Ronald Acuna Jr. is that if we get into a coin flip situation where the numbers are super close, that the voters would go, oh yeah, I remember that weekend series yep. when the Braves all but clinched the home field advantage through the playoffs and Ronald Acuna Jr. was clearly the best player on the field. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree with you. It, it was a statement series and look, I think in on some fashion, you know, when we look at these stat lines, it's going to be Acuna stolen bases and how much voters just are impressed by that as opposed to Mookie going in and playing shortstop and playing second base and by all accounts playing both those positions very well. And look, as you mentioned, Moore's factoring that in, that versatility, the defensive value of playing the infield. Um, voters are going to factor that in, but I think Acuna's statement this weekend is going to win out. Again, assume whatever happens these these last final weeks. Right. All right. I always like to bring in the voice of the fans. And in this case today, we got Taylor Schwink. We got Bruce Baldwin. I'm going to ask each one of you guys, Taylor, first, tell me who you have as the National League MVP at the moment. Oh, man. It's got to be Ronald Acuna Jr. at the moment, but uh, it's still very close to me. I would have said Mookie Betts before this series, so he, he moved the needle for me just over the weekend. All right, Bruce, what do you got? 
Yeah, I got Acuna. I, I love Mookie, but just be, with, with, with the steals, I'm going for Acuna. Nice. All right. Well, we'll see. As I say, there's a lot of time to go, and if Betts has uh, anything close to what he did in August in the month of September and Acuna slumps at all, then Mookie's going to win that award. Uh, yesterday, we heard from somebody at Shohei Otani's camp. Yay! You know, after weeks and weeks and weeks since his injury, we didn't hear from Otani, who, uh, you know, the only player who doesn't speak about his injuries. Uh, but we did hear from Nezbolelo, his agent, who spoke with reporters yesterday. Here's part of what he said. This sound recorded by Claudia Gastro. I think it's inevitable that there is going to be some type of procedure, okay? Um, what that procedure looks like and when and the type of procedure is what we're gathering right now. Clearly, there's been multiple um, opinions, and we're not just banking on one or two. Like, we're really trying to educate ourselves in this situation. So um, just understand that. I'm just going to get it out and just tell you that Perry went on record and said we have a tear, and we do. But it's completely different than last time. Last time was um, way up top, the, the, the farthest uh, area that you can get on top. And this one is about as low as you can get. So it's completely different. All right. So I don't think he necessarily said anything surprising, Dave. Uh, he mentioned that, yes, uh, that Shohei is totally devoted to the idea is coming back as a pitcher. He also acknowledged there's going to be some kind of procedure. I didn't, you know, other than the fact that we actually got someone from Otani's camp speaking, <laughs> um, I don't think there was a lot of news here. What uh, what was your takeaway? Yeah, it was a little vague. We don't yet know what the procedure will be. You know, we all we can do is go back to 2018 when he did have Tommy John surgery at the end of the season. He came back in May of the next year. So he did miss, you know, a little more than a month. Uh, recovering from that. So keep that in mind. If he does end up doing Tommy John surgery, probably not going to be ready to hit on opening day of, of 2024. And I think also what was made clear, which is something we already knew, like the angels have no role in any of this, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right? This is a decision made as it should be. This is a decision made by Otani as he heads into free agency in consultation with his representation and consultation with doctors and he's going to make the decision that's best for him to stay on the baseball field as much as possible going forward. And and I'm sure that's the way his side is going to convey it. I think what's been weird for the Angels is, is that because Otani hasn't spoken uh, about his injury and his agent didn't speak about his injury, here are the Angels left with very little information and have no power in the decision-making uh, left to answer for him, which is why we got the kind of the weird – uh, you know, the weird uh, conversations last week from Perry Manassi and their general manager and from Phil Nevin. Yeah, it's a, certainly a weird situation. I guess it's a little bit like the NBA where kind of the players have all the power. You know, it's not quite been the extent in baseball, but Otani, uh, he's kind of his own unicorn in many ways, including how he's dealing with his injuries. So he's going to do what he's going to do. On ESPN.com today, we've got a piece where you got predictions for what's going to happen down the stretch. And, you know, what I was told by one of our editors over the weekend was that I was the only one to say that I think <laughs> the Yankees are going to finish over 500. At the moment, they're 68 and 69. And the reason why I did that, Dave, was just feeling like, uh, you know, having been around a lot of teams when they call up young players, that there's a, this initial jolt of energy. 
And man, you know, we had the Astros and the and the uh, Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball. You could feel that, especially when you're talking about high end prospects like uh, Jason Dominguez, who hits two homers in three games. Austin Wells demonstrates right off the bat he's going to be a factor. It felt like it wasn't the same Yankee team that we've been watching all year uh, in terms of the energy, the enthusiasm, and it really does remind me back in 2016 when they were basically a 500 team. They trade Andrew Miller. They trade Aroldis Chapman, and they played well down the stretch, you know, behind Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge, and they look good. And I think they're going to continue to play well because it's not like they don't have any good players other than those rookies. They got Aaron Judge who's moving better than he has in months. And they have Garrett Cole, who right now I think is the front runner for the American League Cy Young Award. Yeah, credit to you, Buster. I think the rest of us were all just a little too gleeful about the Yankees' uh, struggles. And look, if I could change my vote, you know, I voted before that Houston series that they swept. Yeah, I would probably change it at this point because their schedule – Oh, let's put it this way. They end the year with the Royals, so it might come down to how they fare in that series to finish over 500. They'll probably sweep it. They'll finish 82 and 80, and that streak of 500 you know, winning seasons will continue. Um, but you're right. The bowl of energy, it's huge, you know, and look, they do have a good bullpen. They're going to win close games, you know, more often than not. So, yeah, I, I yeah, 82 and 80. Boy, Jason Dominguez looks like he's the embodiment of everything the Yankees need right now. You know, I've been hearing from evaluators of other teams for months. Uh, they look old. They're not very athletic. Uh, they're way too right-handed. And so who rolls in here? A switch-hitting center fielder who's 20 years old who can run like crazy and hit with power. Yeah, and Austin Wells. Like, I mean, the perfect anecdote catcher, right yeah. now. Yep, yep. No, look. We all know there's a lot of us out there, you know, you baseball fans who want the Yankees to suffer and go through a miserable year. And, you know, like, they keep finding a way. They're going to retool in the offseason. The Yankees are not going to fall apart as an, as an organization. They have too much money, you know, too many good players. Um, they'll find a way next year to compete. Yeah, and uh, as they wrote in a piece that posted over the weekend, they're in the midst of a widespread review of their entire baseball ops department, and there's more uncertainty than I've ever heard uh, about what's going to come out the other end, whether it's about manager Aaron Boone or you know changes in some of the analytics that they're focused on. All right, Dave, thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. All right. Thanks, Buster. As I mentioned to Taylor at the top of the show, we did this in-game interview with a fan named Malcolm uh, in the left field stands, uh, and he it was an absolute ride. Here's Malcolm from Sunday Night Baseball. So tell us about that play and how it developed. <laughs> so pretty much I'm out here with my son. This is our first ever game. We just moved here to Houston literally in January, and I just wanted to make the moment special for him. As a father, I feel like it's my job to make sure that I give him the best moments. I apologize to the Astro organization. I didn't know it Y'all got to understand, when it's dropping down, it looked like it's coming directly to you. So I reached, and my body went for what I know. But we did have a wonderful moment. There's a hit. The Astros have runners at first and second. Okay, so you reach out, and what was the reaction that you heard right after the play was over? The reaction was shock, disgust, happiness, (laughs) sweat, a little bit of lust, baby. You feel me? I was in there feeling kind of hurt. Shaking a little bit. The ball-
What's your son's name? My son's name is Charlie Ray. Charlie Ray. <laughs> Charlie Ray, we're going to be on TV, baby! <laughs> so, tell me, it looked like that you went away for a bit and then you came back. How'd you talk your way back? So, truthfully, Houston loves me and I love Houston. <laughs> and they yeah. cannot stop me from supporting the Astros. So, what happened was, I almost had to give a bop, 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 bop real quick on them. But they wasn't listening, so I showed some love and they let me come back. They really were just trying to make sure that I wasn't hurt <laughs> and that making sure that we didn't go off the rails. So, salute to the whole organization. Great staff. They made sure that I was healthy and I was enjoying the game. They wasn't even making it serious. All right, Malcolm. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you. Yeah. Back to you, Carl. Did he drop a lot of lust in there? <laughs> so, we got a new buddy of Buster. We're taking pictures. <laughs> Malcolm, have your moment. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter-producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Uh, just back from Houston, not very much sleep, but uh, it was a fun game to do. Uh, you know, it's, it was, it was uh, amazing, as I was talking about with Dave, the energy around the Yankees with these young players and in the midst of that game, we had that funny situation where this fan reaches out from the stands down the left field line, reaches out into the field of play, basically knocks the ball away from the, the Yankees left fielder upon replay or upon uh, replay review. It was ruled that he had interfered with the ball. The, you know, the hitter, Jordan Alvarez, is called out. And so Eduardo Perez is like, we got to talk to that guy because he seemed like such a, you know, an interesting guy when we watch – he was almost hiding from security uh, as it played out. We're all wondering if he was going to get kicked out of the game. And uh, as you heard, uh, boy, he was fun to talk to. Your reaction to that interview was the first that I got <laughs> afterward. You sent me a text right after it was over. And I must say, in the moment, I couldn't really process everything he was saying because it was so loud. And he's standing a foot away from me, but I couldn't hear everything that he was saying. But it sounds like you were laughing. Oh my gosh. I mean, the text that I sent you all caps just said amazing because that's all I was thinking. 
the moment the camera panned to you guys, you and Malcolm and the son, and he had his arm around you, I knew it was going to be an outstanding interview. And I love the energy and from a personal standpoint, uh, just looking at the human. Before we spoke to him, I was kind of worried they'd get kicked out. And, you know, I see the young kid there, and you don't want that to happen to him at a baseball game. And then said the complete opposite happened, right? They end up on national TV. The kid gets to say something into the microphone. So, love, good energy, great character, and a very memorable moment. So, yeah, I was just sitting here cracking up at him, paying so much attention to every word. So, I love that. It was so warm. Uh, I, I must say, like, you just never know sometimes when you go to interview someone. You know, we, we loved, uh, you know, the sort of the machinations that were going on on camera before we did the interview. But when I was headed his way, I could see that he was gathering his stuff and he was getting up to leave. And so I kind of cut him off as he came up the runway and I you know, identified myself and said, hey, we want to talk to you. And he was like, absolutely. And, you know, he was so enthusiastic and clearly just sort of, you know, enjoying the moment, enjoying the experience. He obviously was having a great time at the ballpark watching his Houston Asteroids. Uh, and, and when the interview got done and all these fans were around, it was so funny. Uh, you know, the, the microphone was off and he looked at no one in particular. He goes, you know what? You got to take advantage of your 15 minutes when you get it. <laughs> I love that. He, he, yeah, he was he what a what a great guy. Uh, you know, I hope to see him again uh, uh, <laughs> next time we have a game in Houston. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is twenty five. So we may be saying a streak here that has only been rivaled by Juan Soto, but I have another Jose Rodriguez sack because he did another big thing over the weekend on um, Monday. Yesterday, he hit his 25th home run of the season, becoming the first player in MLB history to have at least 25 homers and 25 stolen bases in each of his first two seasons. Now, he was the only guy who even had a shot to do this because he's the only guy to do that in his first career season. So it's really, really cool. He's now done it in each of his first two. And, uh, yeah, just really, really fun to watch that happen. Unfortunately, two played appearances later in the game where he could have given the Mariners uh, at least a tire lead, but I'm focused on that home run. Number two. Number two is four. For the four runs that score on a grand slam. So if you haven't noticed lately, and I know not everyone pays attention as much to the AL Central, with the analog card race we have going on, the ALS, all that. But Royce Lewis of the Twins has been hitting grand slams at an unreal pace. So he has three grand slams this year. And they've all come since August 27th. So his three grand slams are tied with 1998 Shane Spencer, excuse me. The second most by a rookie in a season behind only Alexi Ramirez of the White Sox who had four in 2008. But if we go back to last season, Royce Lewis's first ground run was also a grand slam. So he has four grand slams in his first 
13 career home runs. The only other guy to do that is Chris Taylor, who had four within his first 11. So Royce Lewis has the second fewest career home runs to reach four career ground slams. And then he is the fourth player to hit three grand slams in a span of eight games or fewer, joining Jim Northrup in 1968. Lou Gehrig in 1931, and Larry Parrish in 1982. And this is what I love about baseball. You have a list with four names, Royce Lewis, Jim Norther, Lou Gehrig, and Larry Parrish. I mean, only in baseball. Number one. Number one is 121.2. So over the weekend, Ronald Acuna Jr., absolutely smashed a home run, 121.2 miles an hour. That is the third hardest hit home run tracked by Sackass, which goes back to 2015. You already know the only ones ahead of him on that list are Giancarlo Stim. It's also the sixth hardest hit batted ball overall, and all of those ahead of him are Santa and then O'Neill Cruz at the top. So he's one of only handful of guys to even have a 120 mile an hour batted ball. Jim Carlson, of course, has 14. And then these guys each have one Acuna, O'Neill Cruz, Gary Sanchez, and Aaron Judge. And it's just a reminder that this guy is 63 stolen bases and can also hit a ball 120 miles an hour. No one else right now can do both of those things at such a high level. It's just a reminder that his 30-60 wasn't by accident on either end. So at the end of the weekend, Ronald Acuna Jr., clearly the leader in batting average, in hits, in runs, in stolen bases. Boogie Pat's clearly the leader in home runs and, as you know, in wins above replacement. Uh, we had the conversation last week about the National League MVP award as of this morning. And I pose this question to everyone who's been on the show so far today. Who do you have as a National League MVP, Sarah? I think I have a Cunha. And I know it's in Mookie like four days ago, but I do think what he did in August is amazing. But I do think there was an element of recency bias to that. An unreal month, like a historic month, no question. But I come back to what Acuna has done with 30 and 60. And again, the fact that he's doing that 30 plus with 120 mile an hour home runs, Mookie Bats is having an unreal season as well. I mean, we're going to look back at this like bad season in 2021, where in any other year without Shohei Otani doing what he did that year. That also would have been MVP, but I think I'm back to Acuna, and also part of it, by the way, you talk about most valuable to their team. You look at the Braves taking three or four in that series in LA, that series that we hyped up, we all did, as a really, really crucial series, the two best teams in the National League. The Braves showed they were far and away ahead in that series to me, and Acuna was at the center of all of it. So I think that also kind of shows it in a way. Oh, I think maybe the best way I can describe it, uh, and I wish I had been more concise in talking about it with Dave before, it's like Acuna 
won the tiebreaker between the two this weekend. In a, in a, in a situation where there's a tie, there might be voters who look back on that weekend and go, okay, in a head-to-head matchup between the two teams, between the two players, Acuna was the better guy on the field. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I mean, again, no one's going to go back to one instant, but that's home run I'm talking about. 454 feet to a part of Dodger Stadium at Burns. Like, I've never seen a home run there. You don't win MVP with one home run, but that is a lasting memory. And the fact that it was at Dodger Stadium against that second-best team in the NL. With Mookie Best standing right there, with Freddie standing right there, and Matt Olson, whoever you else you want to put in this conversation, I think that's kind of like a microcosm of it, if that makes sense. It does. All right, Sarah, uh, we will talk to you on Friday. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Here's Anthony Volpe speaking with Dave Jagler. Well, uh, Anthony, it was a pretty cool night last night in the in the Yankee dugout when uh, when Jason Dominguez hits that home run first big league at bat, and then Wells gets his first hit. What was kind of the lifting moment when uh, when Jason hit that home run in the dugout? Uh, yeah, it was amazing. Everyone kind of felt everyone was definitely on the edge of their seat. We wanted to all get a good view of whatever's going to happen, and for him to come through like that and the way he did it first swing off who he did it off of was uh, pretty amazing. And for you, uh, you got a chance to play with a few of these guys coming up. And uh, I know that Wells and you were teammates at, at AA for a while. Just to see him have success in his debut, what did that mean to, to see that last night? Yeah, I was so happy for him. And um, pretty much all these guys, besides Dominguez and Peraza, really, I played with every step of the minor league. So um, to be able to experience every level with them, and then obviously this level, um, is uh, it's just amazing. I know, I mean, you're still a rookie, but you've been here longer. I mean, can you impart some wisdom on these guys as they're going through this for the first time? Uh, I don't know. Um, we have amazing veterans on the team that help me out and then are helping these guys out. But I feel like, yeah, maybe like the recency of like me feeling the emotions that they're feeling and just um, how to get through. I mean, they, they ask me questions about how I was feeling and stuff like that. So if I could help in any way, I, I was definitely looking forward to it. So for, for your season, I mean, you've been here from the start. There's some struggles and now some success. I mean, 2020 as a rookie is pretty impressive to have 20 homers and 20 steals. What's been the biggest key as far as trying to adjust to the league and your first go around, knowing what the pitchers are trying to do to you? How have you been able to make that adjustment and, and try to build on your season and, and have success going forward? Yeah, thanks. But, um, yeah, it was just a learning from start to finish. And um, I feel like from now to the beginning of the season, I've definitely improved a lot just mentally and physically and being able to translate it into the games which I feel like has been nice but I think all the credit goes to um, my teammates and the guys that have taken me in and then Case and just just different little conversations different stuff like that that be able to write down and take in and then translate to the game I feel like early in the season you are taking in a lot of stuff but you aren't necessarily able to really translate it but I feel like over the course of the year I've been able to um kind of put what I've been working on into the game. And you talk about that again. I mean, baseball is a game of constant adjustments. What's the thing you want to keep working on to improve on the most? Uh, everything. I mean, I'm 22, and I feel like um, there's no 22-year-old that's close to their peak and their potential. So um, I feel like I have a lot of areas to improve, and I'm excited to kind of keep working on this foundation and build off it and improve. 
Anthony, appreciate the visit, and uh, thank you. Just thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Tuesday. Let's lead off with Mr. Jakey. He's getting pretty uh, media critical here. He had this to say, your conversation about Moreno and the Angels frustrated me so much. I had to turn the podcast off. Buster, you were excited by the idea of the Angels putting all their chips in because it was fun for the show, the sport, and they showed they wanted to keep Otani, but Ravi's takes were so harsh and negative. Disaster. Worst move ever. Idiotic. Why can't you guys call it like it is? A strategy that didn't work out. Disappointing. Yes. Sad for the Angels. Yes. I'm not defending Artie Moreno, but it seems Carl has a great time kicking people while they're down. Wow, man. Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, I'll let Carl speak for himself on that one. I feel like that in in the way I evaluated the trade deadline, I thought it was very fair to the Angels. Right. I thought, you know, I mean, I said right off the bat, like, and I had this conversation with people in the Angels organization that, yeah, people around the sport thought it was a no-brainer. Definitely trade Otani. Definitely, uh, you know, to, to um, you know, definitely begin to turn over the roster and build for the future. But I explained, and I felt like we did this better than anybody, that Artie feels like this is the one path that he has to re-signing Otani, and that it really wasn't about making the playoffs. Um, you know, I think the front office felt like, look, if we're going to keep Otani, we might as well go for it. I, I thought that was all fair. I think that's completely separate from what happened last week. Yes. I thought what happened last week was a joke that the angels dumped all these players to save a few dollars. I, I you know, am I wrong? You no, know, that's my memory of how I've been talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, Mr. Jakey. I'm, you know, no, no uh, offense to you or anything, but I think you might've misconstrued the conversation. They are two separate things here. You can say two that, separate things. Yeah. You can say you can applaud the angels for, for making moves at the trade deadlines. And then also, you know, you can't criticize them. Yeah. Criticize them about how they handled the fallout from it. Like it didn't work. So Buster, your whole point was they should, you know, he's throwing his hands up in the air. He just wants to save some money. Like he, like you feel like he's got to eat it and he's got to, you know, have Lucas Giolito and pay him and uh, have him finish out the rest of the year. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. I I mean, to me, it was just, it literally was the baseball owner version of a 10 year old flipping a game board. Right. Because it hasn't worked out as opposed to, you know what? We're just going to ride out the season. He's just going to throw all these guys out in the waiver market to save a few dollars and and doesn't care, you know, the look of it. Because I, you know, I say, can you imagine if 10 or 12 teams did this? If you had a bunch of owners, you know, who like Artie, you know, they, they are trying to protect their money generally. Can you imagine in a competition where 10 or 12 out of 30 teams just quit? Right. Imagine if you're in your fantasy league, you had 30 people in it, and 10 or 12 teams just dumped all their players out into free agency right. so at the a, end of the year. So, again, it's what not a, that you I are. Mean, chaotic yeah. situation it yeah. throws the whole league into. Yeah, you're not criticizing the Angels for trying to compete at the trade deadline. You're, you're criticizing Artie Moreno for basically sort of like – upending the league almost like he's he's introducing this new kind of chaotic factor into it and then also him being mad and just wanting to save a couple dollars well and i will say more people i talked to over the weekend echoed a little bit what chris antonetti told us the other day that it's something that probably needs to be talked about mm-hmm. uh going forward right and that's what he and, he and i think that's great context for it too he was like is this a one-off or is this something that things it's going to happen more going forward so we should address it and i think that was a totally yep. fair take from him 
All right, let's go to Zach Beeson at Zach Beeson 22. He writes in Buster. After what I watched this past weekend to my angels, I will not be surprised if the athletics are not last in the AL East in 2024 with or without Otani. Also, congrats on your Vandy Commodores having the best record in the SEC. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like, I feel like the the angels are, I mean, let's face it at this point, they're going to have to do a lot of the patching and filling in the roster with free agents <laughs> because they, they traded away some of their best prospects. I think Otani, uh, while, you know, we'll see where the bidding winds up, but I think Otani, in the end, he's going to wind up leaving that team. And thank you for mentioning the Commodores. Woohoo! I mean, we don't we don't get many plaudits when it comes to the, uh, you know, to, to football, that's for sure. 2-0, the drive for six, bowl, eligi- bowl eligibility buster. You're almost there, one-third of the way. Nice. All right. Uh, P.K. Steinberg writes in, should Trey, a tale of two seasons, Turner be considered for NL Comeback Player of the Year? Hey, you know what? If there's an award, and I think Trey would second this, give it to the Phillies fans. Right? Yeah, uh, give yeah. it to the Phillies fans because they helped turn that guy around. Last one for the day. Wayne at Mookie for MVP writes in with Josh Young missing a good piece of the season. Who do you see as the AL Rookie of the Year favorite? Hmm. All right. So I always feel like I got to qualify this. Uh, I picked the Padres to win the World Series before the year started. That looks really good. Mm-hmm. I did pick Gunnar Henderson to win American League Rookie of the Year, and at the moment, yeah. 4.8 war, 23 homers, 70 RBI. I'm feeling pretty good about that pick, Taylor. That's why you're my guy, Buster. But also, you did, to be fair, you mentioned uh, Yanir Diaz from Houston earlier in the show, too, as a, as a kid. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and so. Alex Bregman, I had a great conversation, a really great conversation with Bregman over the weekend, and he said, you know, Diaz is the American League Rookie of the Year, I think. And then he goes, well, who, who are some of the front runners?" And I mentioned Gunnar Henderson. He was like, oh, yeah, he's a good player. <laughs> he had forgotten about him for a second. And just a look on his face like, oh, yeah, that guy's really good. <laughs> Oops, forgot about him. <laughs> All right, that's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games tonight, everyone. Thanks. That's it for today. My thanks to Dave, Sarah, Bruce, Sarah, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.